We like stories of self-made men and women who have found their way to great success, but there are far more stories to be told of men and women who have made of their lives a great big mess. If that's your story, tell it and tell it to yourself. For when you do, you make room for God to remake a wonderful sequel for you. Welcome everyone, I'm Joe Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. If you're looking for a place to give that is taking the gospel and direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, would you consider CPE? You can learn more about how God is using us and how to donate to this ministry by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. And now to God's Word. That God chose to send His Son to be born in Bethlehem was declared for us in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And yet, at the time in which it was foretold, the message came as no surprise— After all, Bethlehem was the city of the kings. But when God's Savior did arrive, he came as a reversal for a humble, forgotten town, needing a new and better story to be told of it. We like the stories of rags to riches. There's something about that's enjoyable. What's harder to watch are the stories of riches to rags. Seeing someone who has all kinds of potential and all kinds of ability and instead they just keep going on a downward trend until they end with nothing and it's a tragedy and it's difficult to watch. It's difficult to watch people go from the pinnacle to the pit, you know, from top banana to slipping on a banana peel. It's just hard to watch these things. I think I've told this story before. I thought I was a fairly good basketball player and we had tryouts at East Junior High and in those days, every kid tried out for basketball. So every kid in the whole school tries out. And, and there were so many kids that tried out that you didn't just have the A team. You had to have an A team. You had to have a B team. You had a C team. You even had to have a D team. I remember after the tryouts going to find my name on the A team list. Pretty excited to find it there. Went through the A list. And when my name wasn't there, was quite discouraged. But just the thought that I had to be on the B team when I thought I could play with the boys on the A team and Went through the B team list and was even more discouraged when I found that I wasn't on the B team list. I mean, it's humiliating to be on the C team. I was on the D team list. (laughs) I was at the very bottom of the rung. And I remember the experience sliding further and further and further down in my expectation and my idea of my ability. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Humbling experiences in life. They're hard to bear. But here's what we learn. In these types of things, when we go into these situations where God drives us into points and pathways of humiliation and humility, and when we go into points from success to real failure, when we go from sliding to places of mirth to places of mourning and from places of victory to places of defeat, that God in all of this has a plan for us. God has a design in all of these things. God is working to bring us into such a state of meekness or brokenness that we're fit for the great reversals that he wants to bring into our lives that only he can accomplish. But he can't accomplish it when he's competing with our own expectations and thoughts of ourselves. He can't accomplish great things in our life when he's competing with our own idea that somehow we can bring ourselves to these points and we accomplish these things or we deserve these things. It's When God lays us low, that God brings us to a place where we can inherit the earth. And so Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have lost everything, for they shall inherit the earth. 
And the story of Bethlehem is a perfect illustration of this. And so we're just going to look at this passage really to illustrate this one point and this idea. And you'll see, by the way, that this idea is repeated itself. Once you key into this idea that God exalts in emptying us so they might fill us, you'll see that God repeats this idea over and over and over again in Scripture. It's like a cipher that you discover that makes sense of what you're reading. And here's something that will make sense of what God is trying to communicate to us over and over again. Unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That God is teaching us this principle of coming to the point of absolute, complete emptiness and lowliness before Him. Because it's in that place that He exalts Himself and where He works His great, profound, and lasting, internal works of glory and majesty in our lives. So let's go to Micah chapter 5. Let's understand that Bethlehem and the story of Bethlehem will illustrate this for us. Bethlehem is about two or three hours walk from Jerusalem. It's about six miles away from Jerusalem. It's a sleepy little hamlet in the amphitheater of the hills that are there, hills on which shepherds labored and worked to raise sheep that were actually brought to Jerusalem for sacrifice in the temple. In the valley below it are these beautiful productive fields that were good for harvest. That's why it's called Bethlehem, the house of bread and Ephrathah, which means fruitful. And here's the reality that we discover at the very beginning of our passage in verse 2 of Micah chapter 5. Here's the reality for Bethlehem according to Micah the prophet. She's small. She's least among the clans of the thousands in Jerusalem. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah. And the word here is, though you are scarcely big enough to be reckoned with. Bethlehem, according to the open portrait that we have here, is insignificant and seemingly forgettable. That's her reality. Let's look at another thing now. That's the reality, but here now it comes the reversal. The reversal is hinted at in these kind of words at the opening of this phrase in verse 2. It says, but and though. Do you see that? But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah. The word but there right now establishes uh, something is going to change here. There's the reality of where they're at, but something's going to change, so there's a but already in place. But thou, Bethlehem Etherteth, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, though tells you, oh, there's another hint that there's a change taking place. This reality is that they're little and they're insignificant, but there's a change that's ahead of you. Your forgettable but, though you are insignificant, you will be the birthplace of the Messiah. That king who will be, bring unending rule and whose greatness will go to the ends of the earth will come forth from you, though you are what you are right now. This is not only the story of Bethlehem, by the way. This is the story of anyone who has Christ come and make himself the center of rule in their lives and their heart. At that moment, what happens is a reversal takes place. It's a, a but-though experience. But though you are a sinner, though you have nothing in yourself, though you are powerless, Though you've come to a place of complete emptiness, out of you will rise up one. will be the ruler over all the earth and whose reign will be a reign of peace. It's a but though experience for us all. It's a grand and wonderful reversal. Let's look at it a little bit more closely in this passage. And just very quickly, let's look at the reign of this ruler. First, what you can see in this passage is that the nature of his reign is that he will be a shepherd. In verse 4a, it says this. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. And he shall stand, it gives us the image 
of a shepherd who is standing and providing guard or watch over all of his flock. And he shall feed his flock as a picture of the care and provision that he gives for his people. And they shall abide is this idea that his protection and his care brings about a prevailing. Sheep are most vulnerable things. And yet in this picture, these sheep endure. They abide safe. They're in a safe and enduring place. They'll abide there and rest there. And and here's the purpose of his reign. Here's what it says in verse 2. Again, 2a says, Out of you shall come forth to me. God is prophesying the coming forth of the shepherd. He says, Out of you shall come forth to me. All that he will do is directed by God, and it's directed to God. The last words of the Son of God before he set aside his royal and divine standing in the courts of heaven to come and be born as a weak little babe in Bethlehem are found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. There, this is what he says. Behold, I come to do your will, O God. A body you've prepared for me, he says. And behold, I come to do your will, O God. His purpose for coming forth was to fulfill the will of God. His purpose for taking up his reign and his rule over the nation of Israel would be to fulfill God's purposes. And he will reign and he will do everything he does for the good pleasure of God alone. Everything that the great shepherd savior does, he does to please God the Father. So God says, out of you shall come forth to me for my purposes, for my aims, for my glory, for my pleasure, for my honor. All that he accomplishes, all that he does will be consistent with all that I long for and all that I want. And by the way, we have here also in this passage in 2b, the origin of his reigns. It speaks of him whose goings forth from of old, from everlasting. These words reflect the truth that this king rises out of all eternity. It is an expression of his divine nature as God the Son. It demonstrates his complete and utter sovereignty. He comes from of old and he chooses the place where he will come forth and introduce himself upon the earth and it will be Bethlehem, the house of bread. This one comes from of old and he chooses, not as an incident or not as an accident, the place of his birth. It's not a mistake that he was born in what we have here to be a seemingly insignificant place. He comes to reign and express sovereignly this place as the place where he'll be arriving. So, This is, by the way, the wonderful compensation for the lowly. A divine and sovereign ruler who chooses to shepherd us for the pleasure of God comes to a lowly place to start his reign there. A divine and sovereign ruler who chooses to shepherd us for the pleasure of God comes to lowly places and starts his reign right there. Now there's a bit of a riddle in this text, by the way. It didn't make sense when it was written. When the people of Judah heard the prophecy of Micah, they didn't understand it because the prophecy was made 700 years basically before it was fulfilled. And at that time, Bethlehem was not an insignificant place. It was a very important place. You'll remember that Bethlehem was the place where Ruth returned with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And at that time, there were just fields and there was a man by the name of Boaz that in this little village had certain fields. And Ruth, to take care of Naomi, went out to his fields to glean, and she found favor from Boaz, and they eventually were married to one another, and they become the great-grandparents of someone named David. 
and David was born in Bethlehem, but that moment things began to change. David was the most famous of kings in all of Israel. He grew up in Bethlehem. He was a shepherd among its hills. And he was the one who led Israel to this point of significant greatness. And then he turned his reign over to his son Solomon, who was Israel's most richest and most powerful of kings. And, and then after Solomon came his son Rehoboam. And Rehoboam actually made Bethlehem the place where he constructed a massive fortress city to rule over and to govern and to provide protection in Israel. And so at the time that this is being written, there's a massive fortress in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is the city of the kings. And from that time have come other great kings like King Hezekiah and King Uzziah and King Josiah, and it's actually during the reign of King Hezekiah, who's ruling in the house of David as a strong and good king in Judah, that that Micah rises up to speak about Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is not this poor, wretched place at this time. Bethlehem is a place that is a place of tremendous success, Bethlehem is a place that is a manifestation of power and might and promise and fulfillment and everything that God had said and God had promised about David. It seems to be fulfilled in certain ways and there are some setbacks here, but they're gaining ground. They've got a great king that's before them at this time. So there's somewhat of a riddle when people read this passage, they didn't understand it. It actually sounded like something that was not prophesying some great turn of events, but just a steady progression of the rise of Bethlehem. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.